Montana, August 18, 1910. Six days after the train groaned away from Boston's North Station, 17-year-old Angela Kenworth showed some resolution of her own and tossed two gray linen traveling skirts out the window of a swaying horse-drawn coach. Evidently, her father's idea of adventure had little to do with comfort. It was miserably hot inside the jigging vehicle that seemed to spend more time on two wheels than four. Angela leaned her head back against the smooth maroon leather upholstery and tugged at the knees of her new canvas breeches, regretting the loss of the airy skirts. The snug pants caused her to sweat profusely, confining and pinching in countless unmentionable places. Unable to do anything about it, she consoled herself with the fact that she was no longer confined to the elegant prison of her home in Boston. Outside, what her father had described as rolling green hills of pine and hemlock had been reduced to charred rock and ruined black snags. Every few minutes, the coach rolled over a scab of burned ground, some hundreds of feet across. Mountains of bitterroot range peeked up through a brown haze all around her, emerald isles above a sea of greasy smoke. Her father hadn't mentioned the fires, and she had yet to see him so she could ask about them. A tall, strapping German fellow with soap-scrubbed skin had met them at the station in Saltees and introduced himself as Fritz Mueller, her father's representative. He had white blonde hair, sun-bronzed skin, and chiseled features that made mother's representative Betty Donahue trip on her skirts to fawn over him. Betty drooped beside Angela, fanning her face with a lace handkerchief. She was a fleshy woman, prone to copious sweating, even in cooler weather. Beads of perspiration pasted blonde curls to her high forehead and glistened over a moist upper lip. She had a dark, if somewhat alluring, smile of a stain at the scooping neckline of a robin's egg dress. Mother considered Betty her spy, but at twenty-four, the flighty woman was only a few years older than her charge, and not much more mature than her five-year-old son, Shad, who sat at her knee playing with a toy wooden horse. Betty did a marvelously irreverent impersonation of Mother by plugging one nostril while she spoke. I despise the fact that you've dragged me out to this godforsaken wilderness. Betty's put-on-wine harmonized perfectly with the chattering coach wheels. She used the hanky to dab at the sweat that sparkled like a beaded necklace and pooled into a clear jewel at the center of her abundant bosom. What does despise mean? Shad said, wiping his forehead without looking up from the toy horse. He had blonde hair like Betty and shared her tendency to wilt in the heat. Mother had thrown her weight in on the matter of his traveling clothes as well, and he wore an absurdly frilly white shirt with ruffled cuffs, brown knickers, and white knee socks that made him look like a sweaty little George Washington out for a visit to Montana. Betty let her own brogue slip back while she continued to press the lace against her cleavage, though all the sweat had long since been dabbed away. Despise describes the way you feel about turnips, dear. She spoke to her son, but kept a hungry gaze on the handsome young German across from Angela. Betty's late husband had been a fisherman out of Gloucester who was lost at sea. She was heavily in the market for another, and the bosom dabbing was her not-so-subtle method of advertisement. Shad curled his freckled nose and rolled his toy horse across the leather seat between him and the gentleman. I despise turnips, he said. 
Mr. Mueller, how much further to my father's mining operation? Angela asked, as much to rescue the poor man from Betty's heaving flirtations as for any desire to have a short journey. One half of an hour, the young man said in a clipped accent. Please to call me... A sharp crack outside the coach cut him off, and he cocked his head to one side, listening. Panic seized his blue eyes, and he tore his gaze away from Betty to stare down at his chest. A crimson bloom spread rapidly across the pressed fabric of his shirt. He blinked, opened and closed his mouth like a fish out of water gasping for air. I am shot. A thin sheen of blood covered his perfect teeth. Angela heard the driver's shrill whistle and fell back against her seat as the horses leaped forward into a frantic gallop along the tilted hillside road. Oh, dear Lord. Betty put the hanky to her open mouth and gaped, wide-eyed at the bleeding man. Angela turned to look up.